The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We're in the last week of a series we've been in called How to Pick a Fight. Uh, And in this series, we've looked at major characters in Scripture and and times where they picked a fight, where they they stood up for something when they needed to at the right time when it mattered, and and they they picked a fight. And so we've looked at some of the the major characters that if you've spent uh, time around the church, uh, floated around it at all at any point in your life, you you would have heard of them, Moses and Noah. Uh, Last week, we looked at at St. Paul. Uh, We looked at Esther a couple weeks ago. This week, though, we're going to look at a lady in the New Testament who, in our scripture reading, isn't even given a name. Isn't even given a name, and yet she picks a fight. And the fight she picks is to experience Jesus. She fights in such a way that she can experience Jesus, and and that's my hope for you all this morning. That if someone were to ask me this morning and say, hey, Gabe, like when, when someone comes to worship at Acts Church Leander, like what's your, your number one hope for them? Like what, what do you want them to experience? I'd say, number one, whenever someone is a, is a part of worship here, I'd want them to experience Jesus. I'd want them to meet him face to face. And so that's what I want for you this morning. But, but the reality is, like I can't control that, right? You can't control that. This, this sort of level of experiencing Jesus is, is not something I can do. I can't give you five steps and say, hey, do X, Y, and Z, and I guarantee you you're going to have some sort of supernatural encounter with the Almighty. Like I just, I can't guarantee that. What we can do is in this story, uh, we see this woman show us, and, and for our purposes here today, and because I like the number three, uh, three things that, that will help us uh, open our eyes to Jesus' presence in our life. Now, there's three things we can do to open our eyes to Jesus' presence in our life. First thing we can do is waste something on Jesus. Waste something on Jesus. Second thing is be present in front of Jesus. And third, we can recognize him as he is. Waste something on Jesus, be present in front of Jesus, recognize him as he is. Okay? So here we go. Look with me at verses three to four. It says this, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? All right, so let's pause here. All right, so Jesus is, is eating dinner at a guy's house, Simon the leper, rough nickname, but, but hanging out there. And, and all of a sudden, this lady comes in and breaks a jar open and pours oil on Jesus' head. Like things got weird, right? It's just a normal dinner party and this lady walks in and pours oil on Jesus. It's uncomfortable, right? Like, like what's going on? But not only that, we see that, that the, the ointment that this lady poured on Jesus was nard, right? And aside from being a, sounding like an insult you'd say to someone in the sixth grade, um, it, was, it, was, it was a very expensive ointment. It was actually it was made out of a, a plant called spikenard in, in northern India. Uh, and so they, they'd make this, and so they're in, they're in Palestine, first century, travel isn't that great, right? And so it was a very expensive ointment to have. It was used for healing. And, and, and the text tells us in chapter 8 that it would have been worth, if you sold it, it would have been worth 300 denarii, uh, which was the equivalent of a common laborer's entire year's wages. So your average dude working, would have made 300 denarii in a year. And that's how much this one jar cost that this lady poured on Jesus' head. And so when these folks see what she's done with this expensive oil, I say, what is she doing? Right? Like, what a waste. And it's a fair question. Right? And in verse 8, Jesus tells us, he says, well, what she's doing is she's anointing me. She's preparing my body for burial. I'm on my way to the cross. 
and she's preparing my body for burial, but this lady doesn't know that, right? So why did she do it? Why did she choose to do this? Why did she choose what was probably her most prized possession, her most expensive possession? Why did she choose to waste it and just pour it all on Jesus? I think maybe it's because it was incredibly expensive that she poured it all out on him. That because it was her most prized possession that she poured it all out on him. Like, I think maybe she was just so taken back by Jesus that as she saw his, his character and his wisdom and his strength and his compassion, that she was just so moved by this man that in her mind the absolute best thing she could do with her most prized possession was to just pour it out on him. That was the best thing she could do because she was so moved by his presence. She sees Jesus and she wants to give him her most important possession. So this made me think about my most important possession. And if I'm honest, like, I don't think I really have an object I care that much about. Uh, and, they're, they're, and it's not because I'm especially pious, okay? It's not like well, material things. No, it's not because of that. It's because, like, number one, I don't think I own anything that nice, right? Like, I'm not like, must hang on to my Hyundai Elantra that's missing a door handle. You know, I'm, I'm fine. Lord, take it. The insurance money's much better anyways. You know, so, like, let's do that. But, but, but secondly... I was thinking about this. My most prized possession is probably not an object, but I do have a most prized possession. It's probably not an object. What it is, is my time. It's my time, right? How I get to spend my time is probably what I value most. Uh, and, and if I have a theory, I'd say I'm probably not the only one that feels that way, right? That there are those of you out there, you put in your hours at work, you put in your hours at school, and then you come home and take care of things at home, and you're driving your kids to X, Y, or Z practice, uh, and, and you have to fulfill the incredibly strenuous demands that your church puts on you, and, and you just got all this stuff going on. And time is just this incredibly important commodity. And so as I've, I've thought about that, and I thought about this scripture, and I thought, man, this, this lady wasted her most important possession on Jesus, what would it look like for me to waste my most important possession on Jesus? To waste my time on him? What would that look like? Well, I'd probably spend more time in prayer. I'd probably spend more time in his word. I'd probably spend more time resting in his grace. I'd probably spend more time investing in his people. I'd probably spend more time with my family. And I'd probably experience him a lot more. What would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to waste something on Jesus? And what would that be? To waste something on Jesus. Do you think that if you did that, you'd experience him more? Do you think you'd experience him more? I think you would. So uh, God has blessed me with a lot of people in my life that have, have chosen to invest in me over the time and, and, and just pour their lives into mine. Just a bunch. And I don't know why. It's probably they're sensing like, Okay, really needs the help, you know, like, like that sort of thing. And, uh, and so, so that's happened. Uh, but, but there's this one couple uh, from, from St. Louis who I've known for about the last 10 years. And, uh, and I met them at a, at a camp in northern Michigan. And, and over the last years, they, they've really poured in me. They've sent me encouraging messages. They've, they've prayed for me. When I was living near them in St. Louis, they had me over for dinner regularly. Uh, then in the last couple years... Um, uh, when uh, we were trying to, to plant X Church Lander, when we were getting things up and running, and I was doing a lot of fun development just to get us uh, off the grounds, uh, they offered a very generous amount of money over the last couple of years to help support our church and get us up and running. And when we launched our church a year ago, true story, that the husband of this couple flew down from St. Louis 
to Austin for the sole purpose of being at our first worship gathering. So if like, you know, you drove from South Austin today, way to go, but they got you beat, right? So, so, um, so that, that's what it is. So far, being our first worship gathering and he even brought friends with him from the community. And I've always wondered why. Like, I pondered this. I was like, like, why would you do this? Like, they've got their own kids who are actually friends of mine. Like, they do plenty of good stuff. I'm not like a poor orphan boy on the, the rough side of the tracks. You know, like, like, why do this? Why have they chosen to essentially waste their time and energy and relational capacity and money in me? Why is that? Well, this past Friday, I was at a, a wedding in Dripping Springs. And, uh, and the reception was going on, and, and this couple was there, and my wife and I were sitting next to them, and, uh, and the best man speech started, and it was awful, because they are always awful, right? No one cares about your inside jokes. We weren't there, just, come on, we want to eat some cake, right? Terrible. And so, like, I'm, I'm trying to ignore this, and, and I was talking to the husband of this couple, and I, and I asked him, I just said, why? You're like, why, why have you invested in me over the years? And, and truth be told, I was expecting something to be like, well, you know, I just saw the spark of something great in you, and I wanted to help bring it out. That was not what he said, right? <laughs> he, he just said, God told me to. He said, God told me to. He said, I don't know why or how, he said, but sometimes God just places in my life, that I, people in my life that I'm just supposed to invest myself in, and so I do. And he said, Gabe, every time I do that, I just get so much more back from God than I even put in. Now listen, this is a guy, he's a, he's a high-powered lawyer, been, been in uh, more boards and in more important positions than I can shake a stick at, but as he's wasted his time on young fools like me, he's gotten to experience Jesus. He's gotten to experience God in his life. And so what would it look like for you to waste something on Jesus? What would it look like for you to waste something on Jesus? Do you think your life would be better? Do you think you'd see him more? I think you would. But now before you all get up and start doing a bunch of stuff and say, all right, let's go waste our lives on Jesus, we need to recognize something important about this woman. She doesn't just uh, waste her most important possession on no reason. She wastes it in the presence of Jesus. She doesn't just do something. She does something in the presence of Jesus. Look with me at verses 5 through 7. Uh, these people, Jesus' followers, are complaining that this lady has done such a wasteful act, and they say this. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. So these folks, these followers of Jesus, they get mad at this lady. And why did they do that? Because she wastes this ointment, right? Like, if, if she wanted to give Jesus her prized possession, they're all for that. Like, that's fine. Just give him the jar, right? Let him sell it, make a few hundred bucks, and then give it away to the poor. Wouldn't that have been, like, a way better thing to do? And it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Like, where are Jesus' followers getting this idea from? Jesus, right? Like, he talks about caring for the poor all the time. Matthew 25, he says, when you care for the least of these, when you care for the poor, you're caring for me. And yet, Jesus rebukes his followers. And he says, leave her alone. He says, why, why are you picking on her? What she's done is a beautiful thing. Now, why does Jesus defend this woman's actions? Verse 7. The poor you'll always have with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. 
Because as much as Jesus cares for the poor, his followers can help them another time. But he's here now. He's present now. And it's as if Jesus is saying to his followers, don't get caught up doing a bunch of stuff and miss me. He's saying, don't get so busy doing good that you fail to see that I'm present. That you fail to see that I'm here. To simply recognize my presence. Can I tell you, church, I was like, I was prepping this message and going through this text, and I got to this part, and it just like convicted me big time. Because this is a trap that, that I fall into so easily, right? And this is a trap that I think our church can fall into as well. And I was just like, I was thinking about this, praying about it, and so I looked back over our last two months as a church, okay? So today's October 12th. I looked from August 12th to October 12th. I just looked at my calendar. So this is like the rough outline of what we've done as a church in the last two months. Are you ready? We brought on two new staff members, ran our first VBS, helped Concordia students move in, had a booth at the Concordia welcome party, launched Axe Antioch, celebrated our one-year anniversary, had a camp out, had a community barbecue, had a booth at the Bluegrass Festival, walked in the Nami Walk, had a love offering for the Goggin family, had a booth at the Round Walk Chalk Walk, launched small groups, started confirmation, stood in the gap for 41 families in Guatemala, searched for real estate for our young parent child care center, and began new member classes. It's two months. And that's like a rough outline. Right? There's a bunch of stuff that I missed. And, oh, and by the way, it takes 20 volunteers for us to set this up and run it every single Sunday. Now, like, is anyone else kind of tired? Right? Kind of exhausted. Like, maybe we just need a breather. Like, maybe we could just slow down. Maybe we could just rest in Jesus' presence for a little bit. Maybe we could just recognize that he's here and be okay with that and that be enough and not have to do a bunch of stuff right now. Maybe we could do that. And so next week, we were supposed to have a sending weekend where we go out in the community and serve, and that's a really good thing to do, and, and we're all for that, but we're moving it. And, and we're moving it to November, because right now we just need to say, hey, let's just rest. Let's just stand in front of Jesus, experience his grace. We don't got to keep moving. Jesus is going to build his church. We just need to slow down. And I'm absolutely convinced I've been praying about a lot that that's the the right move for us to do as a church corporately, to just breathe a little bit. I'm also absolutely convinced that that's the right thing for you to do in your personal life. To just quit doing a bunch of stuff, even if it's good stuff. Like just slow down, breathe for a little bit, and actually be present in front of Jesus. Be present in front of your Lord and look to experience him. Take time to actually do that like, and to really experience him, to seriously find actual comfort and actual rest in him. Just slow down and do that. Now, I can't promise it will happen this way for all of you, but, but I think back to this, this time in my life. Uh, I, was, I was in my final year of seminary and things were really stressful. I was interviewing with churches all over the country and, and you know, not to toot my own horn, but everybody wanted a piece. And, and, um, and so... Um, and uh, I wasn't sure where to go, and I was like, oh, God, what do we do, and, and, and where, where are we going to land? And I knew uh, I wanted to, to plant a church, uh, but I didn't know where and when and how and, and who with. And so I was just really stressed out, figuring out, God, what would you have me do in this next chapter of life? I, I didn't know what to do. And so I remember I was doing dishes in our, our 492-square-foot apartment in St. Louis, and, uh, and I had this moment, and I just said, God, I, like, I don't know, and I just like breathe, and I just said, God, I'm just handing it all off to you. Like, there's, there's nothing else I can do. I just have to hand it off to you and trust that, that you're going to lead the way. And it was this, like, surreal experience where it was as if God told me, hey, Gabe, I love you. 
I love you. I sent my son Jesus for you. He went to the cross for you. You're my child. Everything's going to be okay. And I was just like overwhelmed by God's love in this moment. I'm not, not ashamed to admit it. Uh, I got a little misty, okay? got a little misty. And, and I remember Melissa came in, and, and, uh, and here I am, you know, misting. And, and she said, what, what's wrong with you? And I said, babe, like, like God loves me. He sent Jesus for me. And she, I don't remember what she said, but she had to be thinking like, you just went through like eight years of theological training, and you're like just now realizing this, you know? Um, but of course, I wasn't just realizing it, right? Like, I knew it. I knew it up here. But in that moment, it was like I was internalizing it. I was experiencing it. And if you've been there, you know what that's like. If you've been there, you know what that's like. There's nothing like it. It's like a, it's like a child and his father going for a walk. Now, a kid knows that his dad, if he's a good dad, loves him. Objectively, the kid just knows that's true and is going to care for him and would do anything for him. But you can imagine the, chi- or the father bends down and, and hugs this kid and whispers in his ear and says, I love you through thick and thin, no matter what, I am with you. I'm going to care for you. This kid who already knew that, in that moment, is going to have a pretty emotional response, right? Have you ever been there with God? Have you ever experienced Jesus' presence that much? That is just a reality that, that, that you could touch and has that happened to you recently? Have you been there? Have you experienced that? And I realize this may make some of you uncomfortable, okay? Like, I get that. It makes me uncomfortable too, okay? I'm German, right? Like, we don't, we don't talk about this. Like, suppress the emotions, carry on, okay? Uh, don't talk about experience supernatural. It's just weird, okay? And I'm from a theological tradition that's highly highly regards the intellectual aspects of faith, highly regards the service aspects of faith, faith, and highly downplays any sort of experiential or emotional response to Jesus or the gospel. And yet, we see in this text, Jesus says, listen, it's great you like my teachings. It's great you want to follow after me, but don't miss me. They're not me. Don't miss out on my presence. Good doctrine is great. Service is important. But Jesus is Jesus. They aren't Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. Don't miss him. The person. Don't miss him. So let's slow down. Be present in front of him. And then finally, let's recognize him for who he is. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Jesus is talking and he says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. All right, so let's understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, For for the Israelites, prior to burying someone uh, who had died, the Israelites would would use different kinds of spices and ointments, and they'd put it over the body to to cover up the the stench of death and the, the rotting corpse. And, and Jesus knows he's on his way to the cross. He knows he's on his way to die for the sins of the world. And he says, this lady, what she's done here, she's actually prepared my body for this act. She's prepared my body for my sacrificial death. And then in verse 9, he says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, so whenever people are gathered together and they, they hear about what I've done through my death on the cross for them, through my rising from the grave as I defeat sin, death, and the devil, and now offer them free life and forgiveness and grace and salvation, whenever people are together and they hear that, they're going to hear about this lady. They're going to hear about what she did. 
whenever the message of who I really am is preached, people will know what this lady did for me. And it's true, right? This story ends up in three of the four Gospels. Some would say four of the four, but that's a whole another debate we can get into later. Um, and it's been like 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years, here we are, talking about this lady who poured oil on Jesus at a dinner party. You see? And Jesus called it. Because that's who he is. Things happen the way Jesus says they will. And this is the guy we're talking about. This is Jesus as he is. He's not just a nice guy or a good moral teacher or a helpful moral compass or a comfort when times are tough or a vending machine in the sky for us to go to. He's real. He's the one who says things and they're true. He's the one who does things that change the world forever. So see, if you're really going to experience Jesus really going to experience him, if you're really going to experience his presence in your life, you have to recognize him for who he actually is. Not who you want him to be, not how you've created him to be in your mind, but for who he's actually revealed himself to be. Nothing else will do. You won't meet him any other way. Nothing else will do. It'll just be a figment of your imagination. But if you recognize Jesus is the Son of God, That he's the one who speaks eternal truth. That he's the savior of the world. That he's the one who went to the cross for your sins. That he's the one who rose from the grave three days later and conquered sin and death forever. That he's the one who ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, and is actually at work in this world right now, is actually at work in your life right now. So if you recognize Jesus for who he really is, I guarantee you you'll experience him as a reality so close you can touch him in his time and in his, his way. So I made a new friend at Roasters this week, uh, this guy named Derek. And, uh, and he and I were talking, and, uh, and he shared with me, he said, hey, you know, uh, two weeks ago, I've made some big changes in my life. And, and he, he, he quit just out of nowhere, some, some bad habits in his life that were really uh, destroying and, and messing, messing him up. And I said, so how did that happen? Why did you decide to do that? And he said, you, you won't believe this, I just, I had this experience with God. And I said, really? Okay, well, tell me about that. How'd that work out? And he said, well, Gabe, you know, I'm not really sure. I've, I've been out of church for a long time. And, uh, and I was at a worship experience at, at a different church. And, uh, and I was there, and I, and I just realized that everything I'd been through in my life um, was my parents' divorce and some, some struggles I'd went through and, and, um, and uh, my cousin dying. And he said, all this stuff, whenever a hard time has come, he said, I've just sort of internalized it. I've just sort of said, hey, I'm just going to fight through it. I'm just going to own it myself and just, just carried myself through it. And he said, and kind of because of that, I feel like I haven't fully been able to give things over to God. But he said, I was in this moment of worship just randomly, and I felt like this is it. Like, I've got to just hand all this stuff over to Jesus. I've got to just pour it all out to God. He said, and I did. He said, nothing's been the same for me since. It's like God just has changed everything. Like, things are, are brand new for me. I talked to this guy yesterday because I was finishing my sermon yesterday at Roasters don't judge me and uh and so I was there I talked to him yesterday I was like thank you I'll put that in the end right Jesus is at work he's doing these things he's present so I just want to encourage y'all waste something on him slow down be present in front of him recognize him for who he is and my hope my hope for each of you is that you'll truly be able to experience him for the life-changing reality that he is Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
you're real, you're present. We love you, we trust in you. We need your grace. God, I pray for my friends gathered here today that they would experience you, that they would know you, that you'd be as, as real to them as the air we're breathing, Lord. You'd be as real to them as the room we're sitting in. Lord God, help us to know you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.